have you ever thought to yourself, how much worse can this possibly get? Or can this get any worse? Or why me? You know, life-affirming questions like that. Well, I'd like to tell you a story. A story about how, for the better part of a dozen years, I tested the limits and evaluated the results of those very questions from every possible angle. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method. Me and my homies, we tied it in the glove. We chop a lot of game, is how we do it at the Players Club. Jump the pool, or kick it in the tub, cause we keep much ass at the Players Club. I got a hoe named Real Real. she got a buddy named SB12, now you know the deal. We gets freaky in the studio late night, that's why the beats that you hear coming real tight. Something to roll to, something to stroll to, if you's a player in the game, this'll hold you. So, girlfriend, okay, girlfriend and I traveling back from Arizona to California. Now, I think it's only fair that we put a name to the character. Um, her name was Cindy, uh, and and that's going to be easier than keep rem remembering to say girlfriend for the simple fact that she's around for a lot of this. So, Cindy and I are blazing away across Highway 10 shooting back to Northern California, set the cruise control at 120 miles an hour and just enjoyed the ride. It's a long ride. We had a long time to talk and plan and, and try to figure out what's next. We got into Manteca in the evening and sort of found ourselves floating right past any of our destination points and ultimately landing at uh, Northgate Park on Northgate road in Manteca, right near Neil Halfley School. We we sat in the park for several hours just trying to figure out what's next. You know, not really wanting to tell our families what had happened, what's been going on. But it was time to wrap it up. I I took Cindy to her parents' house, said a set of hellos and and I went about my way and left her there to to see family and whatnot. And and I, I tracked down the squad. You know, I was looking for Putz and Chris and Steve. And uh, I wound up finding out that they were out at a place called The Tree. The Tree is where the young people in town would congregate for bonfires, keg parties, the, the whole insanity. It was a great time. Typical, typical cow town good time. I made my way out there, parked, kind of roamed around, and I found them. They were there, just standing around, kind of giggling to themselves, watching the goings-on. You know, what's up, guys? How's it going? I'm back in town. You know, the whole excitement value. And and they were like, yo, man, we're, we're doing some shrooms. And I was like, oh, what's up? And by this point in time, I had no experience with shrooms. So I was pretty pumped. I had heard pretty good things about it, you know, and I wanted in and they introduced me to this guy. I think his name was Eddie. Eddie hands out uh, a whole handful of shrooms. Oh, this is our boy, Jay. He's from such and such. He's, you know, he's way back in the whole thing. And and he was a nice dude. He, he gave me a handful. You guys, like I'm talking probably a quarter ounce of shrooms. And I didn't know any better. I ate the whole damn thing. Uh, day one, here it goes. You know, we were hanging out and they were a little more high than I was. And mine started kicking in. Everybody's having a pretty good time. And. There was this girl, Krista. Now, Krista had earned herself the name OG Chickenhead. Uh, I'm just going to leave that one right there, but I, I may reference that again at some point. So Krista kept running up to the guy that gave me the shrooms. 
And Eddie was was a nice guy. And I was like, yo, man, like she came up, gave him a hug and off about her business. And I was like, yo, dude, like you need to hit that shit. And he was like, yeah, huh? And we just kept partying, have a good time. And she ran up again, gave him another hug and a kiss on the cheek. I was like, yo, listen, dude. And I kind of pulled him aside. And I was like, hey, you really need to hit that shit, dude. I was like, I fucked her. All my boys fucked her. Like, you should you should get with that. And right then, Chris's eyes, like, just about popped out of his head. And he pulls me aside, and he's like, fool, that's his girlfriend. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, nobody thought to tell me that, right? Knowing that this girl and I have a past, and then I've got a habitual problem of putting my foot in my mouth and saying the absolute wrong thing at the right time. I just kind of let that one gloss over. Like, I, I wasn't going to backpedal. Like, oh, man, I'm sorry that your girl's a hoe. You know, like... Uh, I had to let it go. So I didn't bring it up again. The party just kept rolling. It went late into the night, bonfire, drinking, having a good time. And in typical fashion, those party nights ended at Denny's on Main Street by the Walmart over by Highway 120. We'd all congregate there. We'd have some food and either call it a night or God forbid, what's next? I was sitting at a booth across from this guy, Eddie. And by this time, I was, I was still like filling the shrooms, but I, I wasn't really like vibing hard off of it, but the guy kept looking at me and he was like, Oh, this, this shit's good. Huh? Are you high? Are you high? And like doing that, that like quick nod thing with his eyebrows popping up and down you high. It was really starting to piss me off. And there were some, some cops that were there having lunch or whatever the case may be. There were over a few booths over. And I just remember Chris and Putz and Steve being like, hey, we're going to go back to Putz's house. I'm like, yeah, that's what's up. Let's go. The dude, one more time, he was like, hey, you, you're high. I was at a good time. And, and I don't know what came over me, but I, I nodded towards the cops and he turned his head and I took a fork and I jammed it into the top of his hand. And he didn't, he, he winced, but there were cops right there. What was he going to do? And uh, we excused ourselves and, and we left. Kind of feel bad about that, to be honest, but. You know, it happened. So um, we all get back to Putz's house. We're all starting to get back on one because, you know, the, the dope is a plenty as usual. And their boy's back in town, right? It's time to, like, really go hard. Like, we're talking a few-day bender at this point when, when the buddies come home. So we're back at Putz's house. And, you know, I had described it that, you know, if, if you look at the cover of the Dove Shack CD, that I swear to God, that was this guy's house. We even used to hang out on the top of the carport just because that's what was on the cover of their CD. But we went in his house and, and now to put in perspective, Putz's house. Um, if you ever, ever needed a shower at Putz's house, you did it with your socks on. That's about, about the best way I can describe to you the condition of this house. I mean, it was a cool party house. It was a trap house for sure. But anybody hooking up there hooked up in the bathroom. Cause that was probably the cleanest spot and still showering socks on. But Putz's front room is what tipped me off to asking some questions. Now, putting in perspective, anything that you can imagine that a house would have to have in order to have to shower with your socks on, that's, that's what was in this house, except for now there was a giant brand new projection television. This is before flat screen TVs were quote unquote affordable. So there was a massive like 80 inch box TV. And a whole surrounds, I mean, tower speakers all around the room and new game systems. And then 
the two crappy ass couches and the coffee table that filled in the rest of the space. So if you wanted to sit on the couch on the other side of the coffee table, you had to scoot your legs between the table and the couch itself to get over to a spot to sit. I was like, uh, do I want to know where all this came from? Oh, yeah. Putz goes into the story. They've been going up to the Indian Reservation casinos and and Putz hit. So instead of fixing up his house, he just filled it with expensive shit that he can't protect because his doors don't lock. This is where the story was shared with me that this is how Chris got got arrested while I was gone. That uh, while he was up there, I, I don't even know that I have the whole story today. But the way I understand it, he kept going in and out of the casino, out to the car to either get dope to sell or get high. But either way, he and whoever else got popped on the Indian reservation with meth. Federal charges, y'all. He didn't play around. That's that's how he got popped. My gut told me that uh, this was going to be a little more difficult to try and help than previously thought. I was still going to give it a try, not until after I did all the partying I needed to do for being back in town. I had my own realities and demons that I was hiding from for what happened in Arizona. I didn't really want to share a whole bunch of it. Um, I shared some of it with them. I wasn't proud of it. But as the days, you know, not just that night, the several days rolled on of us partying, Fred had come by, dropped off some more dope. I found that interesting that Chris was now just making a call and getting Fred to come through like on the, with the quickness. And, and that's not really Fred's MO, but yet it happened. And, and I, I wound up learning. It was at this time that I had learned Chris had taken over and wound up moving into the house where Fred used to go get all of his stuff where a car went up, wound up going I don't know, but that was where his shop was set up. He was dating this girl, and uh, you know, Rachel was uh was the girl that that was dating Qua at the time. Now, not only had Chris absorbed everything Qua had going on in this house, it took a long time to piece together the goings on here. But I guess it got too hot for Qua, and Qua up and left. And what was crazy is he left. The whole operation behind, which just in that statement should be concerning, to say the least. But to boot, now Chris is also fucking Qua's ex-girlfriend, who actually is the person that owns the house. So now, whatever it is that transpired while I was gone, made Qua take a hike, walk away from everything. But now also, Chris is hooked up with his girlfriend and that's really where he has set up shop prior to my departure to Arizona I knew of the house it was out in Western Ranch uh, which is Central California it's technically French camp South Stockton I-5 area I knew of the house but I also knew that you weren't even allowed like if you're wrapped up in the game you didn't even look at that house it was against the rules like everybody knew what that house was and you knew not to bring any attention to it and now here I am going over there and going in you know even Fred had shared with me that 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 when you goes over like anybody that comes over that's not part of the immediate squad has to stay downstairs the upstairs on the the landing and the, the where the bedrooms were, that was off limits. And here I am coming in, 
and we kind of held to the same rules. It was it was strange that business just continued uh, almost seamlessly. You know, there was the the Sunday guy as an example. So we're all partying, having a good time. Big, beautiful house, three thousand square feet, beautiful house. But there was a Sunday guy, and this this gentleman just walks in. We're like, what? What the fuck? Okay, and he was an Asian dude, so we knew that you know, okay, we can make some assumptions on who he's here for and whatnot. And this dude didn't give a fuck who we were. He was just here for what he needed, and he wasn't leaving until he got it. And we were well aware that he needed what he was there for. So we uh, got him to tell us how much he was there for. We sent him off with it. I'll be honest with you. I'm not even sure that that dude left money. It was just, uh, hey, bro, yeah, like, like if you got the balls to just walk in this place and tell us you're here for your stuff, you're just here, dude. We don't want no issues. He took his dope and, and he left. And what we wound up learning is this guy was actually maneuvering this stuff to Hawaii, which is wild to me because it was a lot. He was there for a lot. You know, just just a reminder, like the, the the stuff that we had at this point had surpassed the crank and the meth, and we're now dealing with ice. He left with a lot of ice, and uh, we still had a lot more. You know, it was actually after that guy's visit that I learned how much more, quote-unquote, we had. Because there was always six 2,000-milliliter beakers. 2,000-milliliter beaker is a big-ass beaker. That's not a gallon jug. A gallon jug will fit easily inside here. You know, like it's a big ass beaker and there were six of them. And there was always two forming, two waiting to be formed, and then two beakers full of raw that was waiting to be done. And they just stayed in the rotation like that. The raw materials would show up as as needed. It was an unbelievable amount of meth or ice, I should say. It was more than somebody like me should have access to. And, and for that matter, it's more than anybody on this planet really should have access to. Six 2,000 milliliter beakers full of, of ice. And then whatever was in our pockets, you know, and then there were several 500 milliliter beakers around where that was kind of like our personal use. So we kept that aside. <laughs> like It was a lot, a lot of dope. For needing to keep this place low key, in typical tweaker fashion, we would install our own stereo systems in our cars. Because we had funds, which felt like endless funds, we didn't have standard stereo systems. Like, we actually learned how to t install crazy sick stereo systems. And at 2 in the morning, we'd be testing them out. We'd have a good time, like, whose speakers breathe the best? And we'd pull a car in the garage and turn on whatever's hitting at the time. And, and we'd drop the garage about three quarters of the way down and just blast it. And how much airflow could you feel being pulled in and out of the garage? It was like our vibe. And then we'd spend hours, like, working out all the vibrations out of trunks and doors and latches and all that. I mean, the system I had in my Civic could be heard clearly from people driving in front of me on the freeway. They could hear the words clearly. They could feel the bass clearly at 80 miles an hour on the freeway and they're in front of me. We had great sound systems, but not good for keeping things low key by any stretch. Uh, then we started letting the squad come over, you know, the hangers on a little bit. 
I'll never forget the day like a bit of violence took over on me that I, I didn't really knew I had. I mean, it really wasn't even that bad. It's just thinking back now. Um, this guy, Jerry, was over. And we let him come upstairs. We felt like we had known him long enough. We had done enough business with him. So we let him come upstairs. Some of the other guys had to stay downstairs. And Cindy was there. She was sitting on the, the landing there, which was like our game room. She was playing video games. And he said hi to her. And I was like, bro, don't fucking talk to her. And he was like, I was just saying, I said, don't fucking talk to her. And I went in the room with Chris and we started measuring up. Jerry was there for a front. And I remember clearly telling this dude, like, yo, listen, if you're just going to take this front and fuck it off, just tell me. I'd rather, if you just want this, I'll give it to you, dude. Just know that I'd rather know that you're leaving and never coming back than having hope that you're going to return. And he was like, nah, man, I'm coming back. So, all right. So I was going to front him some shit. You think a crackhead's paying your back shit, forget it. But while I was in the room weighing this shit out, I heard him talk to Cindy again, and I couldn't have that. So I walked out there, and I walked up to him like I was going to hand him his bag, and I threw him over the railing down to the first floor. And I fucking told him, dude, don't fucking talk to her. And here's the thing. I, it's not that I'm that guy. It's that some boundaries have to be set here. Like, I'm still real uneasy about what's happening at this house where did qua go how is chris banging his girl how is this okay like i'm not i can't put it together 2000 milliliter beakers guys this is pounds and pounds and pounds of meth of ice that's a lot of dope some ground rules got to be set and now i have to behave in a manner that's going to establish some ground rules I feel bad for doing that. Certainly wasn't the worst thing I've ever done. But, you know, I I don't know that he deserved that. But if I, I fucking told him. I fucking talked to her. Like, he chose what he got. I even did. I had his bag. I threw it at him downstairs. Get the fuck out of here. I knew he wasn't coming back. I knew he wasn't. But I knew that if I didn't give this to him he would just kind of hang around, just keep trying to get high or, or whatever the case may be. I knew if I gave him this dope, he was out of my life. You're gone. Right. I knew the fuck he wasn't coming back. Chris had also linked up with some, uh, some other folks over in French camp. It was a interesting mix of atmospheres. Cause here we are somehow around these these Filipino guys, these Asian guys out of their own setup, which uh, I'm guessing they probably already left. I I don't know. I still to this day, I, I don't really understand how that wound up happening. And then on there's these other folks on the other side of town, outside of Western Ranch, and they're all the white boys. But there was like this business interaction between us that was very beneficial. Chris took me over to Bear's house. Bear was this this old white boy. He was a fantastic dude. And and again, we go to his house and there's a transaction going to occur. But nobody was allowed in the house. You have to stay in the garage. But of course, you know, Chris had to say, you know, hey, this is so-and-so that's with me. 
it's all good, so on and so forth. And the person that asked who who I was, oh yeah, that's him. All right, I'm gonna go in. They went in and they apparently they had announced me. And this is where Chris was explaining to me, like, yeah, man, fucking nobody gets to go in the house. Like only the key key people get to go in there. It's a thing if you get to go in and here's my first time coming over and this person pops their head out and they're like, Jason bear would like to talk to you. And I tell you what, if I could pinpoint a moment where shit was going to go South, the way that Chris looked at me when they invited me in the house was like, I betrayed him somehow. You could see the fury in this guy's eyes. Who the fuck are you? You haven't even been here. You don't fucking know these. Like anything that you can imagine from somebody that's put in months and months of doing business here and he's still stuck in the garage and I get invited in my first time over. Now, I'll be very clear. I didn't know Bear. I didn't know of Bear. I didn't I didn't know none of these people. But uh going in the house, they knew me. Apparently I'd made a pretty good name for myself because uh it's why I was invited in. They proceeded to share with me what they knew about me, how they liked how I moved, and then just proceeded to get me super fucking high. Then they gave me, they allowed me to conduct the transaction when they really should have been doing it with Chris. But I'm not going to tell anybody what to do in their house in these situations. And and I don't know that Chris understood that. I think he sat in the garage coming up with a story in his own head. And, and I don't really know what it was. I just know he and I were the furthest thing from okay after this day. We left that day. I was invited to come back as I saw fit. And it's not that Chris wasn't allowed either. It, nobody said that. But I had somehow elevated to this spot. You know, the the one thing that was shared with me when I went to the house is is upon my return and and you know after the party at the in the orchard at the tree and then after Putz's house and and making it over to making it over to the the, the new spot where Chris has set up shop. They had shared with me that they knew that that Chris had given me. So so what it wound up happening is I had to have a sit and have a heart to heart with Chris. Like, look, dude, I, I need you to put me up on game. I got to be able to make some some coin real quick. And and he had set me up with some dope. But I was so leery of trusting anybody at that time that my first instinct was to take the dope he gave me. I found somewhere to go and I washed it. I cleaned it. Acetone, denatured, little heat, blah, blah, blah. The night that I did that, I wound up finding, just randomly running into a buddy of mine, Charles, and Charles was kind of like the neighborhood guy. Like, everybody knew who Charles was. And I let him try, so, hey, man, I just cleaned this up. You want to test it for me? And he was like, this is the best shit I've ever had. Come with me. And, man, we went to house after house after house, and I just got everybody high off of this bag that I had just cleaned up to distribute. We even went to these one people's houses and 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 it, how naive I was. He introduced me to these folks, Aaron and Serena, I think were their names. But anyway, there were a couple and and a tweaker couple. And I, I had kind of gotten tired of like, hi, I'm Jay. Hi, I'm Jay. Hi, I'm Jay. So 
I introduced myself as Hefe jokingly, like I promise it was a joke, but the joke continues and gets even worse because I was wearing, I don't know if you remember the the brand boss. Well, I was wearing a boss shirt and I swear to you, I had no idea that Hefe meant boss. They knew. So they thought it was great. Like here I am wearing a name tag shirt, but the quality of the dope, I guess, is what I'm getting at here that, that what I was able to get out of the dope that I had, I had the town talking honestly within I don't know, 48, 72, I don't know, maybe a week, 72 hours to a week, something like that. Chris was no longer able to keep up with how much I needed in order to distribute. So, I mean, now mind you, I I left with game, right? Like, so I just had to put that back together. I didn't sell to anybody he sold to. That's against the rules. I didn't do that. Matter of fact, people that he was now selling to that wanted it from me, I told him, you got to, you got to call Chris. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I followed the rules. Ultimately, what, what I wound up finding out being inside Bear's house is that this had gotten around to them. And, you know, they had heard of me previously from my runnings around and, but the quality that I was able to produce and the name I was able to reassert for myself is what made it back to this group of people. It was respect. As strange as it may sound, these these folks became family to me. I spent a lot of time with them. We actually wound up getting very close. You know, Bear, I learned some years ago that he actually had passed away, and, and that broke my heart because that man, regardless of why we knew each other or how we knew each other, he, he was good to me. He was good to me. One time I was, uh, uh, somebody owed me some money, so I took their fucking stereo system out of their car. I had them take it out for me. And uh, I was taking it over there to see if if Bear knew anybody that wanted to buy it. I was letting him check it out. And, you know, there was always people kind of coming and going there, so it was no big deal. But I remember him popping his head up, and go, he was like, oh, here they come. And I pop my head up, and I look, and I, I see this. What I recall is, like, maybe an Asian guy or a Mexican-looking dude. But anyway, he's walking up, and I wave to him, right, and sit back down. Tell me that this guy isn't getting fucking raided, and I'm in the house. Not only am I in the house, but I had borrowed my mom's van and is parked out front while this house is getting fucking raided. That's some scary shit, man. Handcuffed, sitting on a the floor. They're going through the whole house. They find guns, but I'm going to tell you, man, these people, Bear and his squad, they were some clever motherfuckers. They had all of their guns set up that the pins weren't in it, so they weren't usable. I mean, they were usable because, yeah, I mean, all you got to do is pop in the trigger and you're you're off and running but they were not in it there was no pin or trigger to be able to make the fire so it's an inoperable gun they did find a big 16 by 9 pyrex dish that had residue on it so that was really the only thing that they were going to be able to find because this was a safe space like there was dope to get high on right but quantities were kept elsewhere so for hours we're sitting on the floor and they're searching this whole house and Bear looks at these cops, man, I tell you, and he goes, hey, he's got nothing to do with this. He's just a friend from out of town. You need to let him go. And the cops were like, what? They ran my name. My name was clean. You know, I I, I had a DUI when I was 21. That was the only thing that came up. They had nothing for me. I was like, you guys, I'm, I'm just here saying hi to a guy I've known for a long time. They wind up cutting me loose. So Bear gets me out of this. He takes the ride, man. That was something about this. This I will never forget about this crew, man. If one goes down, everybody doesn't need to fucking go down. 
If one person's going, they take it all. That man saved my life that day. And it's not the fucking last time that that team did that for me. They let me go and, and I get out to the street and I swear to God, I turned around. I went and knocked on the door and asked for my stolen amp back. These guys, the cops couldn't fucking believe I came back. And they went to hand me the amp and they flip it over and they see the serial numbers are scratched off. And fuck, I didn't notice that. They're like, oh, it's stolen. You know, it's stolen. And I said, oh, that's mine. I was just coming over here to make sure it worked. Yo, these cops gave me back my amp. I get in my mom's van and I drive home. Bear saved my future that day. Bear saved my future so I could tell this story. Bear saved my future so that I could be better for you, for my kids, for this world. He saved my future and my life just by being a good dude in a bad space. And I'll forever love that guy for it. I owe a lot to him. In many ways, I'm just realizing how much I owe to him. I owe it to him to be better and to stay sober and to hope to God that this just reaches just one person and you hear this story and are massively entertained but understand that a lot of people made sacrifices to make sure I'm okay. Props to the people that have made sacrifices. That concludes this chapter of The Madness. If you're finding this podcast entertaining and you're listening along with me, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Be sure to tune in next week and let's see how crazy this gets. I'm Jason Farias, and this is my Madness Method.